when MLS 4.0 is just MLS 2.0 again. It's That's So MLS, a North American soccer podcast with myself, Andrew Bates, and Nick Thornton. Hello. Nick, how are you? I'm doing fantastically well. Didn't we just cover this game? <laughs> Haven't we been here before? <laughs> the trilogy. The trilogy. Uh, at, at the time of the first game back in 2016, I did not understand how central Toronto versus Seattle was going to be in my life, a person who supported neither team. I don't want to go all conspiracy theory, but do you think it's partly <laughs> our fault because it's been since we've done the podcast? I think that this is like this strange energy, which I appreciate of of like hovering, uh, just having the final hover around our two centers. I guess I was in Toronto. I lived in Toronto during the first one. Right. But uh, but I just this this sort of like town that. We both have. I don't know what your you know connection to Seattle or not is, but yeah, not not a ton. I feel more connected to Toronto. Whoa, God! <laughs> Three of our but listeners we're in just it. left. We're we're in it. We're on it. Uh, MLS Cup is coming up this weekend. Somehow, despite the uh, the dominance of LAFC throughout the whole season. And the dominance of Atlanta through three quarters of two, th- two like two thirds of the season. They both pooched it. They both are not going to make it. Uh, both teams that I I think that like you know last year's That's victory so diplomatic. For Atlanta, they're both not going to make it. They're both. <laughs> they both, both lost. Out. They both lost. They both lost. They both lost. I don't at think home. they're going to pull through, man. They're not going to pull through. Um, this was the big, at last year, when Atlanta won, they were like, MLS 3.0, the teams that, teams that have ambition and are built from the ground up to, to succeed is, it was like, like felt of as a mission statement. Mm -hmm. And you definitely could have, um, associated that with LAFC. Um, but here you have both teams, uh, missing out to teams with longer histories that are have successfully made rolling improvements on on sort of a, a, an established core. Mhm. Yeah, and I mean I don't well I wanted to get your reaction. Are you surprised? And of course we're doing this after the fact. So, you know, folks can take it for what it's worth. But I feel like we're we're honest people. Mhm. Are you surprised that these two are in the final again? I think that, yes, if only because, like, what makes this all so funny to me is how faded it all seemed during the 2017 season. Mm -hmm. How unsatisfying the 2016 MLS Cup Final, Mm -hmm. which was 0-0 through um, extra time and decided on penalties in favor of Seattle when Michael Bradley skied it. Yeah. Um... That was so unsatisfying that it felt like both teams all year were, were cooking up, especially Toronto was cooking up a reply. But, you know, Seattle was not to be dislodged either. So it felt like something that we were talking about week in, week out mm-hmm. throughout the regular season. Um, 
And this year, it definitely wasn't that. It, it, certainly, if you would have said at the beginning of the playoffs, I would have said, well, maybe, but I don't think... I don't think there's a point at any point in the season where either of us would have said, oh, it's going to be Toronto and Seattle again. <laughs> no. Like, I don't even think we did it as a joke. No. No, this was the first thought. The It, it didn't happen until... Um, it wasn't even sort of like a thought until Toronto beat um, New York. Mm-hmm. And then that was like the same day or the day after Seattle won its uh, second round game. And it was like, mm, you're saying there's a chance? Yeah. But even then it was um, kind of like a, it's a, it would be great narratively, but I mean, it's not going to happen. <laughs> it could never right. happen. And- but now it's like you go and you you look at it all. It's like this weird this there's little pieces of it that sort of pop up from place to place. Like for example, the strange uh the strange fact that Michael Bradley, who is extremely divisive among American fans, what? um will remain he's currently the what, the third highest player in MLS? Mm-hmm. And his contract will expire unless TFC wins MLS Cup, and then he's automatically renewed at uh, at his his current rate, which, which is such a, a such a specific scenario. It really is. But also, like, I mean, if he's the one that wrote that in, he must have known something. Maybe that's the, the motivation <laughs> he needed. It's sort of like betting on yourself, isn't it? Um, but yeah, I mean, fair play. I feel like if Toronto wins this thing, Michael Bradley deserves every goddamn penny <laughs> of that renewed contract. <laughs> like, who's the idiot here? We can talk a little bit more sort of pre- uh, previewing the match later, but I think that the interesting thing is is that both in both previous encounters, it was thought to be a really run-and-gun uh, game between two offensive teams. And... Neither game was like that. No. Both teams, both in the, in 2016, both teams shut each other down. And in 2017, it was just Toronto fully dominating the game and, and, and receiving revenge for the previous year. Mm-hmm. We haven't had what we've had throughout the course of this year's playoffs, which is um, lead changes, contentious, you know, contentious results. That kind of thing, it it uh, and sort of um, a roller coaster of a game where each team has to claw themselves back into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Which brings us to <laughs> to let's the talk uh, let's talk about. Uh, well, I know Seattle was first, um, but I was on a uh, uh, I was on a. Uh, changing my spare tire on a, uh, beside an Irving gas station in Amherst, Nova Scotia. So I was not, I was not watching the game at that time. Um, the uh, and, and if you're thinking about that sort of tenuousness, Toronto and Atlanta is definitely that game to me. Yeah, I agree. Where, Let's start um, there. This was, I think, of the two... Atlanta, I think, is definitely the. What makes this all so interesting to me is it's more of a year like 2016, where Toronto was not really 
thought of as a big contender and ended up in the final. Mm-hmm. And Atlanta is a team that seems to have everything going for it, especially at home. Um, and certainly, I said on Twitter that like the first 15 minutes of this was its own game. Yeah. Um, Atlanta came out of the the gate here murdering TFC with balls over the top. Well, it was balls over the top, but it was also Toronto loves to play this really high line. Um, well, I don't know that they yes. love to do it, but they do. They do do it. <laughs> and they did it here, and they just get completely caught by it because it allows, um, I think it's Pity Martinez that ends up fe- feeding Gressel, right? And it's we're three minutes into the game, and this is just Toronto's back line getting pushed or um, pushing themselves up way too high and just getting caught out. <clears throat> and then it's an easy tap-in for Gressel. Yeah. And I, I felt it was a very similar play, um, the penalty that came on, I think, 12 minutes or, or whenever it did, where um, Pity is again trying to play up ahead of, of the line, but Bradley kind of comes back and do you have a, a take on whether or not you think that this was sort of a professional foul or whether or not you think that there wasn't any contact? Um, I mean, of course I have a take on it. I feel like the soccer gods were like had our backs on this game because things worked out the way they should have. I, I think that there's definitely some contact, but to me it's just too easy. I, and, and this is still the frustrating thing for me about... Um, MLS is that any contact whatsoever on anybody in the box can still be called a penalty and especially for a team like Atlanta like these are smart players um, with a certain pedigree like they're they're looking to go down and win these penalties and there's just not enough contact in it for me but Mm. that that being said it's also one of those things like you're in Atlanta if you don't call this then everybody's going to cry foul and say that you know, the referee through the match. So I'm comfortable with the result. Let's put it that way. I don't think it's a penalty. Um, however, <laughs> you posted the, you posted the result, uh, the, the gif of like a feather blowing in the wind. And you were like, live look at Petty Martinez. Yeah. I mean, it's just <laughs> for me. Here's the thing though, is in all fairness, um, I think that there probably is some contact there. Pity Martinez is a little feather blowing around the field. And literally, if there's a gust of wind beside him, he goes down to try to win a foul. And I loathe that. So that's my initial reaction of this. Um, It's also not a great challenge. So I don't think there's a ton of contact. I think there's some. But is it a foul and is it a penalty? I don't think so. Um, I guess for me, too, it's like if it's a penalty, then... Like, why is no card given? It's a great point. Like, oh, it is. Uh, he did get a yellow. Oh, he got a yellow for it. Okay, he got a yellow. Um, yeah, that was another thing. It could have been a red. That also would have changed. This is this is so much could have hinged on how this all went. Is that it was Drew Fisher that, overseeing this one, right? Yeah. Uh yeah, I would think so. Yeah, and um, that that for me is kind of the thing. It's like, well, so if it's not a red, then is yes. it a penalty? Like. <laughs> I don't know. I, I would have to look at the rule book. I, I won't claim to know it that well. But all I know is Westberg has ice in his veins because... 
Oh. Quentin Westberg. I do not like like penalties suck. It's people don't understand just how hard it is. Um that you have very little chance of saving a penalty. Like, I just don't think people really understand how hard it is to save a penalty. And Mm -hmm. it's, you're going against probably one of the best penalty takers in MLS. I feel like what you get off of this one, when you look at the the penalty that that Westberg saved, is that in a sense it almost reads as though... um... Like, he doesn't know the, what Joseph is, Martinez is going to do, mm-hmm. but he knows he's going to do something. Like, he doesn't know what the trick is, but he, he can sense, I feel, that it's not going... Or he waits long enough, uh, presumably because he knows it's not going to be um, straightforward. I'll, I, honestly, I think I probably... Well, I don't know. I think I know what it is. I think it's yes. Westberg did his homework. Often you'll see goalkeepers have uh, like names and then which direction they'll go written on their glove. Ah. Not often, but it happens sometimes. You don't see it here. It's a part of preparation. I think you're correct. But I feel like Martinez often goes right. And I think Westberg does the right thing in that he... Martinez always waits for as long as absolutely possible and he waits for a goalkeeper to commit so but he that's why he does his weird little hop thing so that by the time he arrives to kick the ball the goalkeeper is actually making a decision and then martinez just picks the opposite right but in this one westberg i think knows he's going to go right and so he's just waiting for martinez to kick the ball before he moves but as soon as that contact is made he knows to dive in that right direction so which isn't to say that like that takes anything away from an incredible penalty save i just think this this is a goalkeeper's homework is to know that look if you're going to try to get play mind games with martinez you're going to lose so it's better to just look at what are his patterns and (laughs) pick a direction and commit to it that's what i think happened here but it's a fantastic save and maybe it's not a penalty, but, like, how good is it to see this kind of save in such an important game? And then, not three minutes after that, um, TFC equalized through Nicholas Benazé, who you had never heard of. <laughs> who plays for <laughs> Toronto FC. <laughs> I, Shoots from outside the box. Um and there's just nothing. And all of a sudden, TFC's level. There's just nothing on this play, right? Like, I don't even know mm. if you're Atlanta, like, what you can really say beyond, um, like, Gressel's marking him. He's tight on him. He challenges for the ball. He, uh, Benazé doesn't have much room to shoot. Uh, you know? And somehow <laughs> after say? this point, somehow after this point, um,. You know, things start to really, I maybe maybe close up is the right word, but all of a sudden TFC are now a lot better and a lot more um, adept mm-hmm. at mm-hmm. at breaking up Atlanta um, and their attacks. Um, let me see what the let me see what the stats are on that. Atlanta gets Atlanta gets nineteen shots mm. and five on target. Yeah. Well, and I think with, with that's where we've seen 59% possession. Atlanta all season has been this 
like obviously they're a great attacking team defensively can be a little bit shambolic at times but Mm -hmm. they do both things as a team and i think that's the reason for their success is that um one of the reasons why they're so devastating in attack is because you've got you know 10 players behind the ball trying to score and similarly when they're defending you've usually got at least 10 or well 10 sometimes nine um, if mm. Altidore's playing, he's usually not coming back to defend, but he's, he does it occasionally. Um, I think that has served them really well. And Atlanta, for me, after that equalizing goal, just really looks out of character. Um, and I, I feel like they didn't really... What Atlanta has been missing is a gear this season that they can switch into when their backs are against the wall. Atlanta... Yeah. And we've said that before about Atlanta, is that when the Atlanta machine is running, it is a powerful locomotive and it can pretty much roll over anyone. But if you get them flustered, they sort of forget themselves. And Toronto really, really, really took this game to them. To me, this is a, like just a a masterful like uh, lesson in both tactics, but also a team that just wants it a little bit more. I think Toronto is, you know, they're coming in and they're using the underdog energy to propel them forward, and they know they're only going to get a couple of chances, but once that equalizing goal comes, it it just never really feels like Atlanta's got much in it. And credit to Atlanta for fighting back the way they did, but Toronto really got in their heads in this game, I think. And early on. You're right about the chances, because if you look at the, the shot totals, Toronto has four shots, four on target. There are no there are no off target shots, there are no shots blocked. Yeah. There were there were four shots and two of them went in. And who has more underdog energy than Nick DeLeon, Ugh. who on the seventy eighth minute scores the game winner in what appears to be acres of space. Partially because um, Pozuelo is sitting mostly unmarked ahead of him, but I guess the the idea is is that the defense doesn't want to close in on Deleon and give the other Toronto attackers more room, and they're expecting Deleon to pass. So what he does instead is he turns around and he rips a shot from outside the box into the top corner. Yeah. It's it's just such a beautiful goal. <laughs> it's so good. Um, and when we talk about Seattle and LA, LAFC, we'll get to it. But this is one where you just... What else can you say? He's, I mean, he's not necessarily in acres of space, but there's just nobody will, ready to step up and challenge this ball. And I feel like as good of an, a strike as it is this is something that teams really haven't prepared for is that there are strikers who can hit balls from outside the box. And if you give them half a chance, they can bang in goals from there. So you mm-hmm. have to put some pressure on. And this is not the first time Nick Delion has scored a goal like this. <laughs> no, but it is truly a thing of beauty. And the one where you go like, okay, this has got to be the game winner. And from that point on, it really felt like that just ripped the heart out of Atlanta. Yeah, absolutely. It's 
I where do you go from here because uh, for Atlanta because they've they sort of had their their coaching issues earlier in the year. You've you've seen people with the the takes that that essentially they abandoned like they didn't they didn't fire um DeBoer, mm-hmm. but they like stopped implementing his game plan. Mm-hmm. And then experience great success. Yeah, I I really don't know. Um, for me, DeBoer, I, I don't see him as quite the, um, what's the word, like divisive character that everyone paints him out to be. Like, I think he's a good coach. Um, I think that defensive principles are a good idea to instill in your team. <laughs> um, and maybe this is this game is an example of where they, they could have used some more of that. But ultimately, I feel like if you're Atlanta, all the pieces are there. It's a little bit about how you play the game. For me, they need an, another strong central midfielder mm-hmm. to, to help them switch play a little bit and build out of the back and really organize the back line because that's something that they've struggled with. I, I think... Pogba's had an okay season, but other than that, he seems like a bit of a, um, like a glamour signing. Like he's a, he's a big name because of his brother, but he hasn't been particularly good in that center back role. So I Uh think that having an experience, a good experienced center back is probably something that they would be in the market for. Um, it was really this is sad to this is Michael Parker's last yeah game exactly as well. I was just going to get to that is that um, you know the, their captain and just the longtime MLS stalwart um, is is now retired so it's a bit sad that this had to be their last game <laughs> but you have I think even you saw in Michael Parker's face like it's still a moment to just reflect back on like a 20 year career. Yeah. It's insane. <laughs> like nobody, nobody has that. And I think it's, it's a good reminder of just like how fortunate these guys are to play the game. I thought Atlanta played an okay game and are going to continue to be a force to be reckoned with next year. And Toronto was just, they wanted it more. They had a great game plan and they executed it perfectly. They, all the, all their players that they needed to show up, showed up. The, uh, Parkhurst, uh, in addition to winning with Atlanta, um, uh, in addition to winning with Atlanta last year, uh, was also the, uh, Eastern, the, with the New England Revolution and went to MLS Cup in 2005. Um, went to MLS Cup in 2015 with the crew. So he's uh, he's got a lot of great playoff success. Played in um, the Danish Superliga. Played in the Bundesliga. Uh, such a huge uh, such a huge career that he has absolutely had. Mm-hmm. When you talk about Atlanta and their approach, I don't know if this extends to the players, but when you look at the media, it certainly seems like they really expected this to be um, like a, a, a fait accompli. They kind of thought that this was, they they went into this expecting to be hosting a game next week or, you know, but this weekend. This is kind of why you and I do the show and not to be too smug about it, but can we be a little smug? 
It's like <laughs> people don't really pay attention to the rest of the league. So when games happen like this, <laughs> even even the coverage from MLS was a bit like they're sort of trying to downplay it a little bit and be like, oh, yeah, you know, like, well, Toronto's mm. a very good team and this. And it's like, yeah, guys, but you haven't said boo about them all season long. And now you're saying, oh, well, of course, you know, they're managed very well and all of this. It's like, well... We've been saying the same thing all along, and although Toronto's had a tumultuous year, both you and I going into this game were like, look, if any team can do it, it's Toronto, right? <laughs> that's what the playoffs, that's what this, this version of the playoffs are all about. Um, with the, the midfielder thing that you were talking about, the one thing I wanted to mention is uh, they've traded Darlington Nagby to Columbus. Oh, when did that happen? Uh, I want to say yesterday or today. Um, they he's he's gone, and Julian Gressel has been public about having um, some problems getting his contract resigned. Mm-hmm. He's been frustrated. He says he he wants like uh, which I think is from from contact with the the front office. Mm-hmm. He um, I can't remember where this tweet was that I saw this, but he. Would like to play in that number eight role that Nagby occupied. Yeah, and he'd also be open to accepting new, um, you know, offers from other places. Hmm. Um. To the first point of about Nagby, if that is um, agreed, that's like such a good signing for Columbus. <laughs> A quote, I'm significant just su- haul of allocation money. Sorry? For, uh, reported by the Athletic for a, quote, significant haul of allocation money. Okay. I mean, you would hope so, but um, you, you must think that Atlanta has someone in mind at maybe a lower price to do that job. But that's a great signing for Columbus Crew. I mean, it doesn't get much better than Darlington Nagby and MLS. Um <laughs> Speaking of players that are worth every penny, the Julian Gressel thing, can I just put it out into the universe and really, really hope that stuff like that works? Because according to what I found, he's at about 115000 per year salary. Yeah. White caps. <clears throat> Go shopping. Please. Oh, my God. Yes, absolutely. Oh, my God. I, oh, my God. I saw... I, when he made his first tweet a couple weeks ago, or, he, or not tweet, but when he made his first comment on it, and it, it, it came out on Twitter first that he was having some contract issues, I saw uh, definitely Whitecaps Twitter accounts, but also, you know, everyone. Right, because he... Everyone should be in on him. Yes, because he's a fantastic player. And, mm-hmm. like, he's... It boggles my mind that... Because uh, he's, what, I think he's 24, 25? Um, mm. That... Atlanta's not doing everything they can to lock him down to a, a long-term contract because I think there's a lot of teams that would happily raise their hands and say, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll pay that for him. Um, it's just, uh, he's a real diamond in MLS, and I'm, I'm kind of surprised that Atlanta's dragging their heels on this one. Um, but I'd love to see him come to Vancouver he costs actual money, so it's unlikely, but... Well, I mean, we're... The Whitecaps have spent... We could pay him in Kleenex. Money on a, on a, 
It was Felipe Cardenas from The Athletic, mm-hmm. who was the uh, the re- the reporter on Twitter of those of those details about uh, Gressel. Um, do you want to talk now about the other semifinal, the uh, the other instance of people getting? There was another game. Let's the, talk about the it. boots. Yeah, uh, Seattle LAFC, which again, um, a raucous home atmosphere in the Bank of California Stadium. I, can, can we also just like take a moment to be like, I'm really sorry, Atlanta and LAFC fans. <laughs> like, <laughs> like I'm actually almost like, oh, that's like that's pretty rough that both hosting sides had their teams get knocked out. You talked about penalties, um, and the one thing that I wanted to mention, and something that I, I looked at at the beginning, um, is with, with this new playoff format, um, unlike, say, the FA Cup, which is drawn and not um, seeded, to my knowledge, this is this is a, a unique scenario where where teams are seeded by results um, in single elimination knockout games. Mm. So I went and looked it up. Including this season, the uh, the team that um, the home team in an MLS knockout game throughout the entire history of the league wins sixty seven percent of the time. Huh. Wow. Which, if you think about penalties, is like seventy four, mm-hmm. seventy five. It's up there. Yeah. And it was hovering around that sixty seven to seventy point throughout the playoffs as, as results came in. A lot of the a lot of the first rounds were all home home game wins. And then obviously both of these mm-hmm. were not. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's really interesting. And it, if you think about this, is we'll talk a little bit more after this, but it it, uh, it definitely influences the format um, in terms of the the challenge that it puts on the road team. But here you have Seattle um, again, and uh, again coming into a hostile territory. And coming away with a win. Yeah, this this to me is like, I think probably my favorite game of this MLS season. Like, just in terms of a complete team performance and doing exactly everything you need to do right. There's nobody picked Seattle to win this one, mm-hmm. and they didn't just win it; they won it in style. And yeah. As much as it pains me to give Seattle credit for things, it's really <laughs> hard as a soccer fan to not just like really, really admire what they've built at the club and how Brian Schmetzer has um, organized his team. Yeah, absolutely. This, if you look at, um, if you think of what has worked for the team and, and which pieces have been, you know, in and out. And you look at this roster, there are not that many changes. Nope. What are in, in the back line a little bit, but, but they've tweaked, they've, they've switched some things here and there, but you know, Jordan Morris, Christian Roldan, or uh, no, was it? Yeah. Christian Roldan, Jordan Morris, Nico Ladero, um, all key parts of, of the team that made the the finals in 2016 and 2017. Um, 
Brad Smith is familiar, but I don't. May, perhaps yeah. a little bit, uh, a little bit less recent. But here's the thing and, that uh, I think works for Seattle is that, and it's worked for Toronto as well, is that the, this is proof for building an actual team and trying mm-hmm. to like make small tweaks here and there rather than wholesale changes that a team of guys who know how to play well together can beat better teams. And that's the thing that I'm kind of amazed hasn't been talked about a lot in the coverage of the, the two conference finals is that you've got four teams that are really good teams and yeah. have a lot of unity around them. And I don't think it's an accident that those four teams were the ones that made it to the end. This is a great point to make in terms of, like, like for for everything that you'd think would be the case about, like, chaos results, mm-hmm. it was it was 1-2-1-4 one, one, in terms of seeding of the, of the teams that made it to the final four. Mm-hmm. And the four, in that case, is the team that spends the most money. Right. So, yeah. so it's like, so, so in a sense, it's the TFC thing is a little bit of a surprise, but it's like, in a sense, it is the four best, I would say. Absolutely. And the two teams that won also did it as a team. They, they weren't games that were one crucial call or one crucial play or one individual Effort. I mean, <laughs> yes, Nick Dillion's goal is a, a spectacular individual effort, but like, there's plays involved to get him into that space to to do that. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm t- making too much of it, but I, I I just think that there's not enough attention given to the fact that if you have a good core group of players, um, and even if you finish rock bottom it's still not always the best idea to make a ton of changes because sometimes you still just need to tweak a couple of things and all of a sudden you have something really clicking along. I mean, I think Colorado was an example of that this season. Like, Colorado mm-hmm. is a, was turned into a good side this season, um, but they're missing a couple of key pieces that would make them really good. But for me, they don't need to get rid of a whole bunch of players and start from scratch. They need to add three or four really key players and have a little bit of depth so that they can continue to grow. But they've got a core there that seem to really enjoy playing together and enjoy playing for Colorado. So, like, keep that. That makes a lot of sense. Anyway, how the hell did we get into talking about Colorado Rapids in the, but how did, the conference I wanted finals? to ask you... Dare to you how this how this game happened. The it seemed to start off that LAFC had found a little bit of success by essentially limiting um, limiting Seattle to ineffectual attacks. Mm-hmm. Like 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 give them let them have space, but essentially choke up the center and, and make it so they can't really get anything uh, going of their own. Yeah. Yeah, and Bob Bradley, I think, tactically put his team together pretty well. I mean, they get this early goal off of a free kick um, to put them up. The thing they didn't <laughs> they didn't plan for maybe was Ruiz Diaz. 
<laughs> the uh, the first goal in this comes uh, Vale is fouled, but instead of taking it, he gives it to Atuesta. Who this is? You mentioned it about the De Leon goal. Mm-hmm. A lot of really pretty goals. Yeah. Um, and this is a beautiful free kick. Oh, it's perfect. It's is exactly what you want out of a free kick. And Stefan Fry is not easy to beat on these as well. Um, so I think I actually heard Brian Smetzer talk about this um, after the the game that you know he's like it's pretty good when you like we only gave up a goal uh, off a free kick against LAFC. He's like I'm okay with that. <laughs> It's true. Um, so, so that happens, um, like in the other semifinal, early in the 17th minute-ish. Um, and it is five minutes later where when Rui Diaz strikes. Yeah. I wish I could... Well, I could send you uh, a still. of uh, brought up the highlights again of Rui Diaz just before he beats his man and takes his <laughs> shot. And you, when you look at the positioning of the players, you're like, okay, LAFC is doing everything right here. Like, everybody's where they need to be. Um, everybody's being marked. But this is the thing that makes Seattle such a killer right now, is that if Rui Diaz beats his man, he's got a shot. And he is a world-class striker. Absolutely. And he, uh, and that was amazing. Four minutes later, uh, Nico Ladero uh, glimmers with, and, and this is just like you just said about that last goal. I don't think that LAFC necessarily broke down mm. defensively no. on this play. No. It was just an amazing play that Ladero was able to create from his feet. Absolutely. I mean, as a coach, I'm going, um, I don't know who the defender is on him, but his body position's not great. Um, but he's got to stay tight on him. I mean, it's Rui Diaz. Like, he's going <laughs> to beat you 1v1. Mm-hmm. If he's going to do that, then there's not a whole lot else you can do. Um, the, the one thing for me is that I think Bob Bradley kind of underestimated... Um, needing to put more players on a player like him, that yeah. they were able to limit those team attacks, like you said, but that left the creative channels open for the likes of Rui Diaz. So, what would you say kind of led to? Um, we now have a you know the the third goal doesn't come until the sixty fourth minute. What kept LAFC from being able to break through? I think what kept them from being able to break through was, again, similar to what Toronto did to Atlanta, is I think Seattle just kind of got under their skin a little bit. And mm-hmm. LAFC is another team that's gotten flustered at points. Um, I think there were some questions raised about the um, midfield selection of... Did Diamande start? I feel like he did. He did not. He did not, right. Um, and, and neither did Mark Anthony Kay. And that's where maybe they could have had some more success in in terms of shutting down plays earlier. Um, 
Kay and Blessing switch out at halftime. Right. Uh, and Diamande comes on, like, eight minutes later. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, for me, against a team like Seattle, I, I would probably preferably start those guys. I mean, Latif Blessing's been fantastic this season, so I don't think that's a bad choice. But Wynn has had a relatively minimal impact at the times. Um, honestly... The great thing about both of these games, but especially this game, is that the better team won. So it wasn't just a case of like, oh, what could have LAFC have done? <laughs> it's like, Seattle was just better. And defensively, they've had a real time of it this year. But, I, like, they are a, a really, really great team. And I think, like, it's, it shouldn't be as surprising to people. As, as it was. I think there's three or four teams that could have beat LAFC in a big match like this, and Seattle would be absolutely at the top of that list. And eventually, they kind um, of com- comfortable doing it too, right? Like, it's kind of cold-blooded. Yeah. The, the, the plan is just was so good. Yeah. Like, like they, they didn't they play like they had their backs to the wall. And it's Rui Diaz who scores on the run to get two. To really put, and I think that that probably really puts it away at that point. Mm-hmm. But, but um, I I was watching with the you know in, the, in a extended highlights package, but it didn't seem like LA. It seemed like the belief went out of it for LA at that point. Yeah, and a little bit of collapse in terms of marking as well, and that's something that was kind of uncharacteristically LAFC is that they started swarming one player and just not putting enough pressure on other players and really spreading themselves out. Um, just sort of got panicked a little. And that's where I think mentality comes into it, that it's not everything, but it certainly helps to have a team that's focused. And LAFC, I think, still has a bit of that new kid on the block chip on their shoulder about things. And Bob Bradley is a fiery, intense guy. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you need calm. And Brian Smetzer, this whole season, has, you know, been through hell and back with his team in terms of what they've been delivering to him. But it felt like Seattle was not necessarily always in control of this one, but, like, they had a plan going in, and they were going to execute it. And they were also going to adapt as well. What's next, uh, do you think, for LAFC? They, They won the Shield... Uh, Carlos Vela was named MVP. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it, you look at their their lineup, and it's hard to see. Um, yeah, there's hard to see a huge not a gap lot of there weeks. anywhere. <laughs> no, mm. um, and everybody had a reasonably good season. Yeah, I mean, I hate to do it, but I think they need a better goalkeeper. I don't think yeah. Tyler Miller has been great. Um, I think he's a good goalkeeper, but I don't think he's been really uh, quite what they need. And I, and I think they need a little bit more organization at the back. So maybe another center back as well. Um, but Miller was was great in the playoffs in in 2017. I want to say was it 2017 or was it? Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, because that would have been that would have been the last year before he, he moved in. 
But I feel like in LAFC, he hasn't been really a, a personable goalkeeper. And I don't necessarily mean like out, off the pitch. I mean, you think of you think of some of the great goalkeepers in the league and their ability to sort of impose themselves. Guzan is one, right? Yeah. Like, like I don't think that Miller has in any way done been that for LAFC. No, and I think that like surely there's goalkeepers that have success without being big talkers, but. I think when you look at a lot of the top goalkeepers, they're they're the real captains of the team. They're telling the back line what to do, um, mm-hmm. and they're they're letting people know uh, what to look out for. And Tyler Miller just sort of always has sort of like a deer caught in the headlights sort of look. Like I don't think I've mm-hmm. ever heard him say one word or like open his mouth in a game. Kid's got incredible talent and has made some amazing saves for sure. But I think LAFC oh. needs a more commanding presence. Um, and I'd like to see um, a captain in midfield. I think they need an older, experienced midfield who can... Like, Carlos Vela is fantastic. But I think they need somebody in midfield who's kind of organizing things in the middle a little bit more. This is where they sign uh, Julie Gresselin. It's like, guys! <laughs> Guys, you were good. Yeah. Leave someone for the rest of us. Yeah. Um, I, I think that, that that when people think about the impact of changing to knockout-only playoffs, yeah. I think the most important part is to look at a season like the one LA has had and think that it is, in a, in a sense, a success. I feel like it, it drives up the importance of the shield. Mm-hmm. Because I think there is an idea that it is – I don't know that that'll change the idea that the MLS Cup is what's important and, and the most important. But I think the if there is an understanding that it's not really a snap, and it hasn't been, mm-hmm. to win the Shield and win MLS Cup in the same year, we will be a little bit easier on teams that, that do that, <laughs> that miss out on that. Yeah. Um, you won't necessarily see it. The... Um, this now brings us to the big game on Sunday. Sold out CenturyLink Field. Yeah. I very briefly entertained the idea of going and then was like, wait a second, this will cost so much money. I heard that the secondary ticket sales spiked and have come back down a little bit. Let's look at what the, um, as we record, what would it cost to get into MLS Cup? Last tickets I saw. Which is, oh, go ahead. Which is funny because I had to, to scrape and claw to get tickets, and there's like, uh, that was at MLS, that was at BMO Field, and there's like three times as many tickets. Your price of entry right now is US $190. All right. It's not so bad. It's not, not too bad. It's not great, but. <laughs> I have to ask, and we, I mean, we have to do it, but who do you think is going to win this one? It's really interesting because <laughs> I, and, and I'm not just trying to stop. No, 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 no. I'm no, not no, just, I know but, you're but, not. I, but I've thought about this because this is, this is the trilogy, right? And, and, yeah. and part of, this is the concluding element. It's the rubber match. It was very I felt that the as as narratively satisfying as the 2017 win for Toronto was, I think the 
2016 win was equally satisfying from a Seattle perspective, mm. but also like it was the right, not the right thing. But as an observer, hey, we like, we've established what, early on in this podcast that we care about the right thing happening. <laughs> it just feels in right. Toronto. It it was the right thing for Toronto at the time. Yeah, I feel not 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 that it's a Toronto fans' preferred thing, but it, it's what they deserved. I feel. Mm-hmm. Is 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 to is to finally reach the top of the mountain and 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 have one more step, you know, not be able to to, to for all of their ability that they they could have won that game they they just weren't quite able to yeah and then of course the the year after that is all about you know avenging that loss so these two teams although that 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 tension is always there when they meet they've been so far away from contention this year. That we haven't really had a chance to take the pulse of what this means mm-hmm. for either of them because yeah, it's, it's almost point. a surprise that they're there. Um, being that Seattle is at home, of course, both teams won their away legs. Toronto has won everything away since the DC game, um, uh, which which was their their lone home host of the year. Um, it will. The t- it's up to the teams, of course, to put their stamp on it. I kind of do feel that Seattle is the more complete team. Yeah, I agree. They've had a better year. Um, that's not to say I think that 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 Toronto has done a great job of, of regenerating, but also since the last time these two teams met in the playoffs, um, completely changing the focus of their attack mm-hmm. from... Uh, the Vasquez Javinko duo was won in 2017 to Pozuelo. Yeah, isn't that wild? Like that—that's proof of a good team and a good manager. Is you can take your major so you... goal scoring and like apparatus out, not just in terms of the striker, but like the cr- creative talent as well, and find a new player and and still do it and it, and it looks different right like tfc today feels very like a different team um but it's because they've the that core group of players that have come through like nick de Leon, um who step up in big moments the um it's so hard to it's it's so hard to say um well, let's say this josie altador I... josie altador is probably not gonna be there Although I did hear that um, Smetzer's preparing for him, he's preparing. Altador was team. was honest. Smetzer's preparing Seattle for facing Josie. <laughs> really, which I think is smart, because Josie was on a stage today and he was asked about it and he said, "Well, I haven't played soccer in a month, so that's so that's where I'm at." Ah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Never change. Never change, Josie. Um, <laughs> which I assume means he will play a full 90 minutes. Or if the game goes to extra time, he will play 120 minutes with bionic legs if he has to. Always expect the unexpected. I think Brian um, Smetzer is smart to prepare for him. Uh, if there's a team that can do it, it's Toronto. But I, I completely agree. Seattle's the more complete team. They need to stay focused, though. 
and uh, this is the thing like they they did it against LAFC because they were so focused and they took those key chances um Greg Van is a smart manager and he's going to know exactly what Seattle is going to throw at them um I mean I love that there's the manager continuity as well that these guys have gone head-to-head a couple of times um that's that's it's so tough because if you look about like what I want yeah, as I'm saying it, I, I'm like oh but you know <laughs> Toronto's just got that I like want, factor that you're like what just happened what I want is for them to um have that knockdown drag out more climactic you know oh. uh, battle to to settle it up but it's the same two managers. That played each other off the park in twenty sixteen. Yeah, yeah. So, so who's so so? It I'm I'm fooling myself if I think that this is going to be a run and gun spectacular where they you know three four uh, three four seven six in extra time. It's like or, or, or you know three three in regular time. I think with... it's going to be fun though. Like it may not be yes. the most open match, but I. I love this result. Like I, this was the one I was hoping for, and I think it's going to be a fantastic game. Like, there's going to be talking points. There's going to be lots to talk about from it. For the sake of for the sake of putting numbers on, uh, to putting concrete numbers out there, give me a result. Oh, uh, um, um. You don't have to. You don't have to. It, 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 it's all made up. The points don't matter. I think it goes to PKs. Ah, uh, and who can you can you can you invent a number for that? Oh, uh, maybe not. Not no, the PKs. Okay. No, 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 no. I, not I, the I'm PKs. stepping back. I, I think my imagination is getting the better of me. I think Seattle wins two one. I I'm gonna say I'm gonna steal yours because you you backed off of it. Seattle wins on penalty kicks again. Uh, two two. Okay. All right. Or I guess three two, but after you know two two in uh, two two through extra time. Yeah, that could happen. But if wouldn't it be great if it was like the Dallas game though? Just like wide open <laughs> soccer, eight to nine. That's the result I want. Just slugging it out. It's gonna be fun. So, through our uh, through our busy you know October schedule, um, to the two other. North America, the two other uh, American Canadian first division leagues, mm-hmm. um, both handed, both had their uh, championship games and handed up hardware. Um, the NWSL final had uh, it took place sure did. Uh, two weekends ago mm-hmm. with um, North Carolina Courage hosting uh, the Chicago Red Stars. This was. It was it was hard to to see a team a way that a team could break down a, a a side so successful as the Red Stars a side as loaded as or sorry not the Red Stars the Courage who'd who'd won the um, the Shield um, and you with all credit to North Carolina they executed their game plan at home they scored so early that any sort of you know heroic underdog performance that was going to come out of Chicago. You'd seemed scuppered within six minutes. 
um, which was the uh, which was Davinia, who is uh, fast becoming one of my favorite NWSL players. Yeah. Um, who has her shot blocked? Uh, it, like like a couple of these goals here, it, it's uh, Davinia collects off of a cross. She has her shot blocked and then bangs in the rebound. There's a lot happening where the shots are being blocked or courage players are being dispossessed, mm-hmm. but uh, but eventually fire home or but but they're able to to retain control and they're able to still get their shot off. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was definitely more in this game than I thought there would be, and certainly more than the result suggests. I thought the Red Stars gave a good account for themselves, um, but. Just some really shambolic defending at points. I mean, it's not a good look when mm. you've got a defender draped over a goalkeeper um, and neither is close to the ball. Mm. It's not a good you look. Had, uh, it was four. It was four nothing. The second was uh, Jess McDonald on 26 minutes. Lynn Williams uh, sent in a cross. Um, banged it in on the, uh, the left-hand side. She was at the far, uh, header from the far post. Um, Crystal Dunn, is it, that was on the 26th minute. And then in the, the, the extra time, like the, the out of time of the first half, Dunn scores to make it 3 nothing. And can you just think of a, of a dagger for a team that is trying to think, oh man, we've just got to get to halftime and figure out a way to do it. Mm-hmm. She battles in the area as the ball is intercepted, but, uh, but it, is able to keep it on the turf and, and fire at home. And you'd seen, you know, while they're in that at a time or like, you know, in, in the first half, like Chicago just in disarray, arguing with itself. Uh, uh, McCaskill and Sam Kerr got mad because McCaskill served Kerr a bad pass and uh, Kerr tried to talk to her about it and McCaskill just walked off mm. and wouldn't look at her. And then got substituted at halftime, um, and it was, just seemed like the service the service to Kerr was an issue, and and certainly an issue that was um, planned by the Courage. This is it wasn't uh, mm-hmm. they they needed to do better, but it was being made very very challenging for them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, but there's it just... seemed to be a part a key part of the, the strategy for North Carolina. Yeah, but. Uh... You know, it was it was definitely like credit to um, Chicago for fighting, and you know they got their shots off, and it certainly wasn't like they were defending for a full ninety minutes. They had their chances, but uh, just the organization, like you got to clear the ball out of the box on some of those plays. Like there's just to me again, mm-hmm. we're talking about teams and sticking together. Is it just seemed like on a, a number of the goals, nobody knew what the other person was doing and it was yeah. all very tentative and the courage just hums, right? Like they were just very, very impressive. Sam Lewis got the fourth goal. Chicago almost got a, a goal to at least restore some, uh, some measure of, um, dignity, but it was disallowed. They just, so they just couldn't get things to fall for them. Uh, because of a foul earlier in the play, somebody tweeted at me to say it wasn't a foul. They don't think. They don't think. But at that point, it was um, 
it was academic. Kerr, despite being the league's MVP, couldn't make it. Uh, couldn't get a trophy. There are questions about whether or not she's going to be heading to Europe now. Right. Um, the uh, it was a shutout for Canada's keeper Steph Labay. Mm-hmm. Um, it was the last game for U.S. Women's National Team um, legend uh, Heather O'Reilly. Oh, who, who took a bow in the late the later stages? Hale getting a big um, applause for the crowd. Um, it is. Uh, I think that it was a it was a great, well one sided a, a, a you know a great way to cap off what has been um, a landmark season was, with the World Cup bump with the the, the switches in coverage mm-hmm. or TV coverage the the Budweiser sponsor, sponsorship which now a lot of people have talked about this this hashtag can't stop watching campaign um, the uh, they are. Now, increasing the compensation. I think that was what really saddened me the most when I was watching this game is thinking, how does North Carolina have so many amazing players on it? And looking at the league's maximum salary, yeah. which was uh, which was 46200 which is under the MLS minimum salary. And it's like, oh, that's why. is because they just, they nobody has to get paid anything. That's so depressing. Um, it's now up to 50,000, which is still not great, but, but they're, they are responding to pressure from Europe on this, mm-hmm. on this front. Yeah. The, uh, the other title match was, uh, the second leg of the Canadian Premier League Championship. <laughs> and it was for weird. The North Star Shield. It was weird. That's a great way to put it. Uh, I mean, and I kind of love that it was weird as well because... I, I just like I'm not much of a nationalist but if there's a true thing about a Canadian identity it's just somehow being weird about stuff <laughs> this was such <laughs> a bizarre final game uh, that is true after after losing one nothing away in Hamilton um, the Cavalry at that time, it didn't seem like the worst idea because Cavalry had been so successful that you really thought that they had the ability to get something mm-hmm. at their home ground. But it was so snowy and cold, and Cavalry embarked on this very physical, very frustrating game strategy. But were not able to um, to generate chances. Mm-hmm. They got a couple of good. They got a couple of good shouts out of Malanga. Yeah, it looked a little bit frantic. Like from everything that I've seen of them this year, which is granted not a ton, I'll own that. But they've looked like the most organized club, and mm-hmm. and just really, um, yeah, well, just well organized on the pitch, and um, they've arranged their tactics well, but. In this game, it was just seemed so hectic and like they really, really, really wanted to win, but kind of just like got a little <laughs> too excited about it. Yeah, and, and ultimately there are some you know concerns that people might talk about as to why you know like like what what can you put the game down to? But you know, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, they didn't. Um, 
they weren't able to get the scoring chance. And, and this is the goal that happens that makes a 2-0 aggregate in, in second half extra time. I'm actually kind of surprised that people don't talk about it more and that it's not, you know, as, as, as big of a deal. You want to talk about weird, right? <laughs> it's the it's ninety it's ninety plus five. I want to talk about it. Champion in the championship final. It's so weird. And and uh, Dominic Sator is fouled in the box. Although, did he just get his foot in? Maybe was he doing the fouling? Who knows? But everybody seems to stop, and the ball is copped out to uh, the to Forge. Who get a two on nothing break with the goalkeeper? The goalkeeper looked like he was so disappointed with himself, but obviously it's Marco Carducci. You... Yeah, Marco Carducci of Whitecaps infamy, way back in there's the day. There's nothing that he could have done in that. There's nothing he could have done. No. But 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 I'm surprised that people don't talk about the fact that that could that would have forced penalties. Mm. Yeah, and there's no there's no for you know. Um, there's the tweet from Kurt Larson that was like, hmm, they could have had a penalty shot here. But if you look on their website, which occasionally does tread into this territory of of, of uh, controversy and stuff like that, there's <laughs> no article that's like, like, was the result of the final what it should have been? Like, what, was this it, massive call made? I don't think it's a penalty, but... Like the the difficult thing about this is that it seemed like literally both teams just all turn to the referee at the same time, and the referee is slow to react and basically shrugs and is like, "Play on." But the game winning the game winning goal is they're just I want to sorry go ahead. The game-winning goal is scored in the national championship, and the crowd responds with a huge chorus of, Ref, you suck! Ref, you suck! Ref, you suck! Yeah. But it's not a great refereeing moment, but it's not because he didn't call a penalty. It's also, I think, kind of the style of the league right now is where like things are kind of unsure and tentative. But mm. Cavalry's got it. Why do they have their entire team in the box? <laughs> well, it's 95. It's 90. Sure. It's the 95th sure. minute they need to score. Sure. But, like, for me, this one's actually a fair result. It's wild and just so <laughs> crazy. But it's fair. But it's like, yes. play to the whistle. You see uh, Cavalry players standing, pointing to the spot, looking at the referee, Forges head in the other direction. That's how you win games. Textbook, and that, that's a textbook version of you. Absolutely should have kept playing to the whistle. But if you um, if you don't hear a tweet tweet, get on your bike and cover some uh, ground. This was this was a great result for Forge. I still am a, a grumble a little bit. I don't know what it is that makes them like a team that I grumble at a little, and 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 kind of feel like. Like the league's favorite team, they certainly have the most. They they certainly have the some of the most like um, name brand players. Mm-hmm. Um, in they've they've got the MVP. They've got David Edgar. Great to see David Edgar yeah. with the trophy. That was that was great. Um, the but 
it was well done to them. Do you, what do you think of it in, in a great performance? They, they shut down the hardest team in the league to shut down and, and you, you can't deny mm-hmm. that. What do you think about the format and how that all played? Cause the one thing that, that surprised me is, is I don't know if you see them. Do you see them do, uh, doing the spring fall season again? Do you, do you think it plays out differently if they're more balanced I'm not sh- in terms of the amount of games in each? I'm not sure. I mean, I think that they have to make it simpler. Like, if you want to build excitement in a fan base around it, I think you just need to simplify it and make it easy for people to get on board and follow along and know who's winning and who's losing and look at the table and go, oh, okay, um, and have a, a true final game. Um I'd like it to change, but I my gut is telling me that it's probably going to stay the same or just get even weirder. In in theory, it was an interesting idea, but in practice, there was no gap between the spring season and the fall season. Yeah, so what's the point? Um, and ultimately, Cavalry won both. And then that this is the thing about the final. It's that, like... There would be a sort of sporting logic to just calling off the final and saying, well, we figured it out. We we know who the champion is because it's the it's the champion of both yeah. both halves of the season. Well, um, and there's also but, not enough teams to really have playoffs, right? Like, Yeah. I, I feel like you can just call the, the, like, just have the shield winner at this stage, but... I, I mean, and, I know that they want to build this thing up, but uh, they've got work to do. But it's, I mean, for the first year, it was fun. It was fun. That's that's a great point, and and I think that that's the some some teams had had worse, you know, on the field performances. But but um, I had a lot of fun attending the the Halifax Wanderers game. I was able to attend, and 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 the the seeds were planted for 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 fans and, yeah. and i'm very excited to see where things go my only, one one sad sorry yes my only regret is that i didn't pay more attention to it and that's especially given the way things have gone for the white caps i'm excited to like pay more attention to pacific fc this season next season well i wonder what pacific could do for that because it's like i at the very least halifax have a strong tie to the city and, and the supporters in the city and I wasn't able to get to as much as I wanted to just because it's a drive. But they've got people there. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's it seems like you Did know Pacific have that there were a lot of people. In, well, let me just look. I don't let yeah. me look at what the That's the, fine. the attendance was. But it's like I think that it's just you know it's maybe it's still my like my first impression is just um, just pulling my judgment. But it's like. D, um, you know, it's a place out in the middle of, it's, oh, yeah. it's neither no. Vancouver nor Victoria. It's, I, I grew up there. I know it's very far away from my, like anything of note. Anyway, anyway so much soccer um, has happened. Bring The one thing that, that's tough with, with KPL, um, like, you know, as people are talking about the next season, there is a possibility. Um, I've heard people talking about Quebec City. Oh yeah, okay. You you, you see this come up on uh, on on the Twitter. Mm-hmm. The um, 
the other thing is, let me see. I just had the the attendance averages. The average for Pacific FC as of like August, week fifteen of the season was like uh, three thousand. Yeah. So not great. Not um, bad. So kind of in the middle. Not great. Not bad. Uh, it was that would be that'd make it five out of seven, fifth out of seven. So I know that a lot of people have been interested in, in have thought that it is important to get a team in Quebec, and and that is potentially going to occur. Um, the as we record on Thursday, there's been an announcement that Ottawa Fury is going to make an uh, an announcement about the team's future. Um, the Ottawa Citizen has reported that that announcement will be that they will suspend operations. Yeah. Um, which is but. really, really, really sad to hear. They they were in the USL Championship. They are in the USL Championship. Um, they would be the second. I don't know if they're folding. Suspend operations. Yeah, they're not necessarily folding, but they would be the second uh, USL Championship team to exit. Yeah, after Fresno folded, um, which was, uh, I guess, gives were the Whitecaps still even affiliated? But. Um, that is really tough for the Ottawa fans who I've always who always travel to support their team. I've seen yeah. them against Toronto and whenever I've I've seen um, I mean fans from Ottawa drive up for U.S. Women's National or sorry Canadian Women's National Team games and and they deserve everything in the world. Yeah, absolutely. No, the Fury has a lot of good support behind them, and that's it's not good news. Hopefully. Um, there's more to this story and there's life again in this team, but it just sucks, man. I know a lot of people have said that maybe this means that, that, that another team with another ownership group could come in and step in. I, I don't love that because Fury have eight years of history. Just, just, I want to see that, that brand and I want to see that legacy continue. If, if, if that means that it has to get sold or, or what I, but one of the things that I love the best about the, the, the story with FC Edmonton is that, you know, that that history gets to continue. Yeah. And I think that that's honestly so important. I totally agree. Okay, you can... This weekend! This weekend! Yeah. Seattle Sounders, Toronto FC, it will be on, uh, it will be on Sunday. Uh, do we have the time? I have the, I should have the time of the... It's, Whatever, it's, people, people will find it. They're, they're good. It's twelve local. I want a uh, new MLS um, playoff format, which is Seattle Sounders and Toronto FC have to play each other every year in the final. That's the rule. That's the, that's the new <laughs> it's format. Like a, it just that. It's like a playoff. Regardless of who ends up in the final, it's got to be Seattle and Toronto FC. It's it's a it's like we've got to do. It's like after this, it's like you know when uh, in the World Cup. You've got a hand uh, after you win five times, you get to keep the trophy or something. It's like now that we've had our third Toronto Seattle, fi- now that we're having our third Toronto Seattle final, it's like if they're both in the playoffs, they have to do a play in like in the first round to be like, we're let's just get this out of the way. No man, it's gonna it's gonna be a good one. In the meantime, where can we find you online? You can find me online at Team Bates on Twitter, www.team-bates.com. I'm an editor at Howler Magazine, whatahowler.com. And you can find this podcast at www.thatsonloss.com and wherever podcasts are found. Where can we find you? You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at That's So MLS. And 
Well, yeah, those are the only two places. <laughs> and follow us. Follow us on those things. Give us a rate, review, and subscribe. Yeah. And this, because there's only one game left in the season, don't get sent off between now and then. Yeah. Please. Stay on the pitch. <laughs>